forged over time, one footstep after the next. They are etched into the hard, cold earth as one person follows another, each traveler doing a small part to make the way clear for those who come behind. Each person's journey imprinted on the landscape. But then, someone bravely steps off the trail and explores in a new direction. He looks for a new adventure, and his daring beckons others to follow. And step after step, a new trail is formed. Yes, the old trail remains, the paths formed over countless years by numerous travelers. Forgotten? Maybe. Grown over? Perhaps. Yet still so important. These paths tell a story. These paths point the way. These paths lead to places where we need to go. These paths lead to a God that we need to know. These paths are the ancient paths. Life Trails, take your next step. So I have been fascinated by the resurgence of table games, board games, family games in, in the past several years. And I you know, grew up with dice and monopoly and chasing each other around the board and trying to inflict pain on your brother and sister and, and making them the, you know, the first one to, to fold in a game like that. But I've been fascinated with some of these new games by some of uh, uh, the artwork in them. Some of it is just fantastic, just the art. And, and I love some of the new concepts that have been added to games. And these are just a, a couple of the games that, that we have at our house now. And uh, we have a, a new clicker here, so hopefully that's going to work for us this morning. This is a game called Seven Wonders. Anybody ever played the game called Seven Wonders? This is one of the favorite at our house. But this uses a, a dynamic that's really fascinating to me called card drafting. So you get dealt a handful of cards and you play your first card and then you pass your hand on to somebody else. And so through the entire game, you keep getting the person next to you's hand. And a really fascinating game. If you've never played this, it's a, it's a great game. plays in about 20 minutes. That's something I love too, any game that plays quickly. This next game here is called Pandemic. This is an older one. And uh, has anybody played Pandemic? This is different in the fact that it's called a cooperative or a collaborative game. You play together against this game, and it's, it's scary. This came out years before the pandemic actually hit, but it's scary how much this has play, it plays like the pandemic has played out. We've played this several times in our house, and we have never beaten the game. Surprise, surprise. The pandemic has always won. But this is a collaborative and cooperative, and that's really different for me, too, because i you know, used to trying to, you know, beat the person next to you. This next game that, that, uh, that comes up here on the screen, and, and um, I'm still not doing very well with my clicker. Maybe it's me. Uh, this is a game called, whoops, too far. This is a game called Parks. This is my latest game that I got for Christmas. Anybody played Parks? Okay, you need to play this game. It's on the National Parks, but this game has a really interesting dynamic too. And if you can see it, do I have a little thing here? I don't know. I got to learn my clicker. In this game, you don't use dice to move or spinners to move or cars to move. You actually get to decide yourself how many spaces you want to move every time it's your turn. I've never played a game like that. There's a couple little wrinkles to it that, that, that guide it a little bit. 
But in all these games, I think they're, the new games are a little bit different too. And that sometimes you can't really tell if you're ahead or behind in the game. But you get to the end of the game and you, you total up your scores to see who actually won. And in some of these games, like this parks game, there's different ways to score points, like how many parks you've actually visited, um, how many uh, pictures that you've taken as, as part of your trip. And you total up all of these points to decide who actually wins. But I mentioned these this morning because as we look at the, this game called life, we have our set of rules that are in our heads and in our minds of this is how we win at this game. And if you're an American, that probably works out this way. We measure winning by the word the most. So you win if you have the most sales or you win if you have the most toys or you win if you've won the most awards or you win if you've um, got the most people in your network or the most followers on your Instagram or, or the most likes on your Facebook or, or the most money or whatever. But we say this is how we keep track of how we are doing in the game. Do we have the most? Because if we have the most, we feel like we're winning. The problem with this is it leaves us frazzled and strung out and worn out and, and, and sometimes just stressed because we never quite feel like we've done everything that we need to do. I mean, there's always more to do. There's another phone call that you can make. There's another lunch that you could schedule. There's another, there's another league that you can be a part of. There's another seminar that you can sign up for online. And we always feel like we don't quite measure up. And we look at the guy next to us and you're like, oh gosh, is he doing more than what I'm doing? And so we feel guilty because we haven't done enough. And that drives us to do more. But that spills over into our spiritual lives as well, into our Christian lives, where we are constantly looking for what is the next thing that I'm supposed to do here? And even when we go to church and, you know, we, we say things like this, hey, like if you haven't jumped into one of these outreach opportunities, you ought to jump in and, and try them out sometime. And you're like, oh no, it's another thing for me to do. I mean, I've already got to read my Bible. I've already got to pray. I already need to go to church every Sunday. I need to get the small group. Oh no, this week for small group, I'm, I'm responsible for snacks. I forgot about that. We got to stop by Kroger on the way to small group. And we have our list of things here. And you know, we've got this email to read. We've got this activity to get to. Oh no, I got I to gotta count the offering this week. And it's just, and I get done with my spiritual stuff and I'm like, I'm worn out. But then I got to get up and get back going again and we don't have any time to take a breath even and we live a spirituality that's very performance oriented and it's very exhausting and it's very deceiving because the game may not be scored on the rules that we're playing by. So what we want to do this morning, we want to go back into an ancient past, and we're going to look at a story that's in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to explore a different way of looking at the rules of life, and a different way of looking at the rules of even this thing that we called faith. Have you noticed about these ancient paths, though? They're not very long paths. They're generally pretty simple paths. And maybe you've noticed this too, when we start talking about this, we've even tried some of these paths or these practices, they feel a little bit like restful or unhurried or reflective or quiet or subdued or even peaceful. 
And it feels weird to us. And we've even tried some of them, as we've said in the auditorium here for the past six weeks, and said, okay, let's do this. And we'll say things like, close your eyes now, or take a deep breath, and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel right. And maybe that's actually because we've got it wrong. But how about that word restful? Does that word describe your life at all? Like your soul, your inner person, what's going on inside of you? Is the pace relaxed? Is the tension like gone out of your heart and out of your soul? Are you at rest? And that takes me back to something that we said at the very start of this series. So we're going to back up six weeks. And if you recall there, we looked at a passage that was in Jeremiah chapter 6. And Jeremiah was speaking for God at that point. And he's saying to the Jews, he said, hey, you have come to a crossroads. And you may not realize this, but on this trail of life that you're on, you've come to a crossroads. And if you keep going the way that you're going, it's not going to go well for you. Instead, You need to, and he said this, you need to ask for the ancient paths. And you need to explore those, and you need to take those. Because if you take those ancient paths, what's going to happen? Do you remember? He said, you're going to find rest. And that was the promise that God gave to the Jews, if you will... Pursue these ancient paths, the faith of people in the past, even in the stories, even the practices of these people in the past. And as we look back now, we've been doing this for six weeks, on these people of the past and of these practices of the past, hopefully through all of this, you have sensed something in that there is rest that can be found. So what I want to do this morning is I want to actually go back and review just a little bit of what we've talked about and then look at this story in Luke chapter 10 that I think will help us as we go down these ancient paths. And when we finish up this morning, we're going to look at two more paths that you can try that may be helpful to you this morning. Well, when we started out in this series, we said there's four objectives that we want to accomplish here. The first one is this. We want to... Gosh, I got to get better at this. So, Kim, can you just help me out back there today? Till I, till, I'm going to have to come in here during the week and just practice. Pushing the button here. I don't know what my deal is. But we want to expose our spiritual complacency. And I think for a lot of us, we're just like the Jews that Jeremiah was talking to back there in, in his book. We feel really good about what we're doing in our faith, and and we have this list of things, maybe not on paper, but in our head, and we follow that list, and we check our things off, and we're like, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, how are you doing in your faith? How are you doing in your spiritual walk? How are you doing in your Christian life? I'm doing fine, and our answer is, I'm doing fine because, and we would say, because I'm doing all these things here. But the truth of the matter is, we can do all of these things without having our hearts engaged and involved. And we can become really complacent and really kind of just like not even listening to what God's saying in our lives. And so we've looked at this series to say, okay, where have you become complacent in your own life? I mean, you can can read your Bible and pray every day and still not have it where God wants it to be because of complacency. Secondly, we said we want to explore our spiritual heritage. And we've done that. We've talked about people in the past, and we've talked about some of these practices of the past. We've talked about some of the history even of the church and said, what can we learn from this that would be helpful for us today? But then we really dove into this, and we said, let's explore some spiritual practices. 
And we have looked at many of them, and some of them we've actually, like, tried out and did a practice run in the service. And so, and like, hey, let, let's do this all together. And we've done things like liturgy, and we've done the, the Lectio Divina, or a little bit of a, a version of that. The Lord's Supper, we've talked about the lectionary, we've talked about the daily office, the exam, and I hope you tried some of those things. We did them on Sundays, but you could take them home because we wanted to explore these spiritual practices for this purpose, because they are pathways to experiencing spiritual formation. Spiritual formation, and we have talked about this throughout this series, we a lot of times talk about discipleship, and that discipleship is a good thing. I'm following Christ, and here are the ways that I follow Christ. I obey, I do these things. But discipleship for us often talks about how we live out our Christian life. Spiritual formation is very similar, and it's not divorced from discipleship at all, but it's more of a being type of activity. And I don't even know if activity is the right word but where Christ is formed in us and where we expose ourselves to God in prayer. Or the term we use, we dwell in the word and the word dwells in us. And we take this discipleship, which is doing, and the spiritual formation, which is being, and we put these together to where we start to experience maturity in our Christian life. You ever thought about this? We talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit. Who puts that, who builds that into our lives? Well, the Holy Spirit does. We don't. But have you ever looked at that list? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Like, how do you do peace? Or gentleness. I mean, you can be gentle, but, but, but uh, or, or, or kindness or whatever. But these are things that we become. And as we become, they, they kind of flow out of our lives. And this is this idea of spiritual formation, that, that we start to look like Jesus. And because we look like Jesus and we think like Jesus and Jesus' character is being built into us, then that spills out in the way that we live our lives. Now, as we've talked about these spiritual practices, we said there's two cautions here. The first caution is this, that spiritual practices should encourage spiritual formation, but they are a tool to help you get there. They're not an end. So if you do these spiritual practices, and as I mentioned, we've gone through about a dozen of them, doing them doesn't necessarily make you spiritual, and the fact that you've done them does not qualify you as spiritual. Like, okay, I did this, so I must be spiritual. And the problem for a lot of people is they have done some of these practices and they equate that practice with spirituality and it's just a pathway to get there. For instance, we talked about this last week. Well, if I recite the Lord's Prayer, reciting the Lord's Prayer does not make you spiritual. If you go to church and you know all the liturgy, that's not going to make you spiritual. Now, you can use that as a tool to help you grow in your spirituality and your spiritual formation. But they're not like some lucky charm that you do, and that's how you get your little tally point for spirituality. So that's one caution when we come to spiritual practices. The other caution when we come to spiritual practices is they, become, they can become routine and rote, and in the process, they can lose their effectiveness. 
And a lot of churches, I think that's where they've gotten. They've got their liturgy and they've got their different things and they just do them over and over and over again until nobody ever pays any attention to them. We sing the same song or we say the same prayer or whatever like that. And they just, they just come out of our mouths, but they never go through our reins. And that's why a lot of churches have, have abandoned some of these things because they're no longer doing what they were supposed to do in the first place. But I think that some of these spiritual practices that we've looked at, and hopefully you have tried them out yourself. I have, and some with more success than others, and some I've liked more than others. One of them I didn't like at all. But I hope that if you've tried that out, that's moved you a place where you can start to see that Christ is being formed in you. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 10 here. And let's read this story. It's a familiar story. It's only found in the book of Luke, though, interestingly enough. The characters also show up in a different story in the book of John, but this story is about two sisters. They have a brother, but he doesn't show up in this story. He does appear in the book of John, but let's read it here. Verse number 38 of Luke chapter 10 is Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where there was a woman named Martha who opened up her home to them. And we know from the book of John that this village is in Bethany. It's just a few miles from Jerusalem, but this is a big moment for Martha because she invites Jesus to dinner. You ever thought about that, what that would be like? You know, you invite people over, and sometimes you invite your friends, it's no big deal, and then you, sometimes you invite somebody important, and they come over, and you know, you're trying to get everything exactly right. Can you imagine inviting Jesus to dinner? Like, like the stress of just deciding what to serve, and how many times you would clean your house that day, and, and you know, making sure everything is just right, and, and you know, we got to finish all the home improvement projects, and everything is not... Yes, because Jesus is coming to dinner. But Martha invites Jesus to dinner. She shows him hospitality. And it's a very, very generous, if not scary, thing to do. But Martha, verse number 39, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Two words there to describe Mary. She sat and she listened. Keep those in mind. But even the idea of sitting at the feet of Jesus was a little bit countercultural in that day because the rabbis had their followers, but those followers typically were not women, they were men. And so the fact that Jesus was sitting in the seat of a follower of a rabbi was a little bit scandalous, perhaps. But she sits and she listens. She's simply being with Jesus. In contrast, in verse number 40, Martha was distracted. Notice that word there, distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made, she was busy, but it wasn't busyness that was the problem. It was the problem that was that she was distracted, and she was preparing a meal, and that was a good thing, because if they were going to eat something, somebody had to make the dinner. And so she was busy about things, but she was distracted. She had somehow lost track of what hospitality was supposed to be about, and hospitality is about the guest, not about yourself. But anyhow, in her distraction, she comes, the verse says here, to Jesus and asks, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. <laughs> That's quite a statement, isn't it? And, I mean, she just played the shame card in a big way. First of all, she's shaming Mary for not helping. But who else is she shaming here? Jesus. Jesus, why are you just letting her sit here? You should know better than that. Yikes. And she's trying to manipulate the game here. And what is she doing, though? She's trying to score points. Jesus, look how hard I'm working. 
Yeah, I'm in here cooking. Look at Mary. She's doing nothing. And we see that in our own stories, don't we? And this is what Jesus says. And oh, Martha's not ready for this. And I think he says this gently. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried. Notice that word. And upset. Notice that word. About many things. But few things are needed. You know, only one thing is needed. You're upset about things that aren't worth getting upset about. You're upset about things that, they're important, but in the end, they don't actually matter. You need to get some perspective here. And Martha, do you know what's missing in your story? Rest, peace, contentment, all those same things that are so often missing in our own story. And he goes on and he says this, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary wasn't just sitting here because she was oblivious to the need. Like, oh, sorry, Martha, I didn't even think about the fact we had enough food today. She was sitting there because she had made a deliberate choice that that was more important. Interesting, isn't it? But what we see in these stories is two very different approaches to the Christian life. We have the, the doers and we have the not doers. Or we have the performance people and we have the, the person people. And it's not really that one's right and one's wrong. It's just that we need to, to, to take what's right about both of them. And I would compare these two women then to modern day Martha because she looks like me. And I would compare that to the ancient past, Mary, which is maybe where we need to get a little bit in our own stories here. So let's look at Martha to start with. Three things about Martha. We see, first of all, Martha's moxie, or you could say Martha's mindset. But I just like Martha because she's got a little bit of spunk to her. Now, it's been National Women's History Month, and if you've been following along with the... Uh, with the um, waking up, we have been uh, highlighting different things about women. But I think Martha was one of these uh, pretty impressive women, actually. If you notice in that first verse, this dinner was at Martha's house. Did you think about that? She had a brother named Lazarus. So if the house had been passed on through the family... It would have been Lazarus's house because the son always got the inheritance. But this wasn't Lazarus's house. This was Martha's house. So how did Martha get this house? Now, maybe she got it on her own. It's possible that she was a widow and that she, like, inherited from her husband. But the fact of the matter is that she was doing something that was very unusual and unique in that time in that she had her own house there. And she, I think, was probably a pretty strong woman, I think, with a huge heart and with a huge uh, passion, who maybe loved hospitality. But I love in this is she's got this desire to do something good for Jesus. And there it is. She is a good woman who is doing a good thing for Jesus. And I think she would have fit in well like right here at church, right? Because she would have been the one like, hey, we need somebody to do this. I'm in. And I love that about her. And, and she's the one like, oh, man, we can't find anybody to, to, to do this job, and it's not a very nice job, probably a thankless job. Hey, no problem. I can do that. 
And, and I love this about her. She's just going to give it whatever she's got. She's a 100%er, all in. And I mean, if she's got 16 plates spinning and you got a 17th, ah, that's no big deal. What's one more? But that leads to her mistake. And her mistake is that she forgot the focus of hospitality. She forgot this. Well, actually, what she did was this. She traded being with Jesus for doing for Jesus. And I wonder how many times we do that. I am so busy doing for Jesus that I don't take any time, make any commitment to be with Jesus. And we get to the end of the week and we're like, look at all these things I got done on my spiritual you know, to-do list here. And I wonder if Jesus is like, yeah, but we didn't spend any time together. And so that leads to her mistake, and that mistake left her messed up. And here's what we see about Martha's mess. She was in an unhealthy place. Jesus said she's distracted. Now, distraction describes my life. I'm a little bit ADD to start with, and you've probably picked that up. But I'm like, boom, 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 in, in distraction. And Jesus says, hey, Martha, you're distracted. Martha, you're upset. Martha, you are anxious. Martha, you are lashing out. You're shaming. You're judging. And you're all about your performance. And you're all bothered by everybody who's not like you. I'm going to drive you nuts at church. You're like those people who aren't volunteering when they should. And she was in an unhealthy place, and here's what she was not experiencing, and this defines and describes so many of us. She was not experiencing rest. Well, you know what the ancient past teach us as much as anything? Maybe you've noticed just about every ancient path that we've talked about requires you to pause, to take a deep breath, to slow down, and to relax. Maybe that's why we've discarded them, because it doesn't fit with how we live our lives. And it doesn't fit with our Martha mindset, but it fits with this idea that Mary presents here, and this idea that Mary actually models. And here's what she teaches us. She made a deliberate choice to spend time or to experience Jesus. Read that there. She made a deliberate choice to experience Jesus. When was the last time that you made that choice to say, okay, Jesus, I just want to experience you right now in this moment? You're like, well, that's kind of vague and out there. Yes, yeah, so that's what these ancient practices have been about, though, is how to do that. We're going to look at two more here as we wrap up this morning. Here's how you can experience Jesus. See, there's nothing wrong with service, but Jesus wants you more than he wants your service. Both, Right? But we need to get those in the right order. And this whole idea of spiritual formation, it's going to take place when we slow down and when we spend time and when we are simply with Jesus. And so Jesus gives us a message here that I think we need to think about. And we kind of lose it in that last line of the verse. He says that, that um, Mary's chosen the best thing and it won't be taken from her. It's going to have lasting impact. 
When you spend time with Jesus, it will have lasting impact. The idea is when you spend time with me, when you walk away from that experience, that experience is still going to be part of you. And this time that you've spent with me, Mary, even as you go into the future, you're going to look back to that time, I believe. And that's going to have impact, and, that's, and you're going to remember those moments in that time. And maybe five years down the road, you're going to be sitting there. You and Martha are sitting around the table and saying, remember that time that Jesus came to dinner? Remember what he said? Remember what that was like? And when we spend time with Jesus, it has lasting impact on us. Now, there's no need to be overly rough on Martha here. She was a good woman doing a good thing. She just lost track of something. And I think it's true for so many of us, we lose track of just this simple idea of being with Jesus. And so I want to finish up our series this morning, I want to finish up this message this morning by introducing you to two more ancient practices. One of them super familiar, and one of them maybe you've never heard before at all. The first one is this, it's retreat. And we're familiar with that, you know, we go on retreats, of course we often go on retreats and we just hype things up. We don't spend a lot of time, you know, spending by ourselves or quieting down. But retreat is about this. It's where we get away to a quiet place where we can be alone for the purpose of regrouping. And most of us, we don't take retreat days in our lives. We take sick days. We take vacation days. But have you ever taken a retreat day from work? Where you're like, you know what I need to do right now? I just need to go, and I need to get away, and I need to slow down, and I need to think about what's going on in my life, and I need to connect with, and I need to experience Jesus. I think Mary would have been all over this. Let's, let's find a time and a place where I can get alone, where I'm uninterrupted, and if we're going to practice retreat, we need to do that. And then we need to take some tools with us because we want to stop and really ask what's going on inside of us. I go to a pastor's group where oftentimes the question we get asked is what's going on? What's taking up space in your soul right now? When we live life like this, we never hear what's going on in here. In retreat is to force us to sit down and to stop and to say, okay, what's what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking right now? What, what's, what's eating at me right now? What's challenging me right now? What's weighing me down right now? And we start to reflect on that. And then we take some time to just get into the Word or we get into prayer. You can even take some books with you. Maybe there's like podcasts. You can actually even use apps on your phone that are for things like this. But to actually take some time and say, okay, I want to hear from Jesus. And then we get to that third step there where it's like, okay, what is Jesus saying to me? What is it that I need to be focused on in my life right now? What is it I need to, and, and we can read the scripture and all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's actually saying something to me in this moment. But we can't do that where we live our lives, where we just go, 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 go. And we maybe get something on the schedule, as I said, for a vacation. But don't you, and we're like, I got to do that because I got to get, you know, physically recharged. I got to get emotionally recharged. I got to get mentally recharged. But don't we have to get spiritually recharged sometimes too? Well, I do my devotions in the morning. How long does that take? Well, five minutes if, if, if I slow down. 
And maybe we need to find this retreat where you're like, you know what, I'm going to get away. You know, Jesus was really good at this retreat stuff. In fact, if you do the growth guide this week, it just keeps looking at this idea that Jesus kind of goes off and does these retreats. But we need to do this ourselves where we get done with the excuses and we take a day. And maybe you can't take a day. Maybe you could take a morning. Maybe you could take a Saturday morning. Don't do a Sunday morning. Come to church, okay? Do a Sunday afternoon. But when you get away to some place, maybe you go to the park or maybe you go back in the back of the library or wherever you need to go, where you can just have some time to retreat. Take a notebook with you. Take your Bible with you. And there's no big rules here. It's just simply trying to slow down enough that you can actually hear from God. Where you can actually get in tune with what you're dealing with. Where maybe you can actually have a conversation with God with what it is that you're dealing about on a really thoughtful, meaningful level. And where you can experience and be with Jesus. You're like, okay, that sounds great, Brent. Probably not going to happen. Maybe it should. Well, I'm too much of a Martha. Okay, well, I got another one for you, okay? This is called rule of life. And retreat, we've probably heard of. Rule of life is probably something that we haven't heard of so much. It comes out of the 300s. The Desert Fathers, you ever heard of that term, the Desert Fathers and Mothers? They were, they were Christian people who got really upset about how the condition of the world. And so they, re, they retreated permanently off to the desert. And, uh, and they just set up life there so they could be separated from the world. But they, they develop what's known as the rule of life. And the rule of life is this. It's the idea um, that we identify the values of our, of our lives, that we want to build our lives around, and then we formulate those into um, principles or rules that we live by. And that rule comes from, a, from a, a Latin word that we get ruler from. And we use ruler to kind of measure. And so what we're doing here with the rule of life is, is we're changing the rules of the game to say, you know what, here's how I'm going to measure my life. And so here's how this works. And this is in your bulletin. If you want to grab that, you can pull it out of your bulletin. The idea here is you sit down to start with and say, what are the values of my life? And values of my life maybe you know, it's something to do with my marriage. Like I'm going to make my wife uh, the, the most important. I want my marriage to be important. Or my values are I'm going to raise my kids uh, to love Jesus. Or the values of my life are like I'm going to work hard. Or the values of my life, I'm going to be a person of integrity. You can go list through and list the values of your life. And, and you might come up with 12, you might come up with 50. Just you sit down and say, these are the values of what I think my life should be about. And then what you do is you take those, that list and you start to see where you have common elements and you start to put them into categories. And you can put them into categories however you like. You might put them into categories like physical. Um, it might be mental. It might be relational. It might be spiritual. But you start to put them into these categories of your life. And then from there, you actually make these goals that you're going to live by. And so you can see some examples there at the bottom of that page, if you pulled this out of your, of your uh, bulletin. This one, I just used the categories of physical, mental, relational, and spiritual. And then the rules, or my rule of life is, I will prioritize my health by exercising at least three times per day. 
Or another rule is I will schedule weekly times of rest or Sabbath. And so we, we put them into these categories. Now, if you can back up here, Kim, to the first one. These are different people's rules of life that I just pulled off the internet. And you can do the same thing if you want a guide. And I realize it's too small for you to see out there. But I want you to just realize there's no big hard and fast rule to this. There's different ways to do this. So this person put at the center there, love the Lord your God. And in that purple ring, he says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two foundational principles he's going to build his life, his rule of life around. And then he split it into the categories of health, relationships, rest, and work. So those are his four categories. And then he has the different things that he's going to do, the rules that fall into that. If you go to the next slide, this guy did it a little bit differently. He picked across the top there, spiritual and leisure was one category, mental and emotional, relational, physical, domestic, and financial, vocational, and missional. And then he did this. He actually put down, I'm going to do this daily. I'm going to do this weekly. I'm going to do this monthly. I'm going to do this quarterly. I'm going to do this annually is what's coming down that left thing there. Another way to organize your rule of life. You go to the next slide there. This is for one of those artsy people that likes colors and things. So those are their four categories there. There's a relationship with God, relationship with self, relationship with others, and relationship with creation. And this person, we've said guys the last two times, so we'll call it her. She said, you know, I'm going to set a time for long-range planning, and that's seasonally. Weekly, I'm going to read books about the Christian faith and the spiritual life. Or, or daily, I'm going to practice gratitude. And she puts these categories in there. Okay, let's throw the last one up there. This is just a different way to categorize this. Their four categories are prayer and scripture, work and service, relationships and church, rest and play. And they have bulleted points there. This is a worksheet, so they're going to start to put those in. Now, this is not something you're going to complete in, in the last five minutes of the service here, okay? This is going to be something that's going to take you some time to put together. But what this does is then you can say this is, and, and you're going to use this and refer to this and come back to this and say, okay, maybe it's weekly or maybe it's monthly or maybe it's when you schedule in those retreats where you pull that out every time and say, how am I doing at living by these principles and these values that I define for my rule of life? And that's pretty cool. This goes back 1,800 years cool concept, isn't it? And you could probably combine these two concepts. For instance, if you're like, man, I, I really like to work on a rule of life, well, set aside a retreat, and you can make this part of the activity of your retreat. You don't have to do any of this, but if our goal is to be like Mary, we're going to have to explore some of these ancient paths, but here's what it's going to do. It's going to take you down these leisurely paths. When I go hiking, I don't try to hike in a hurry. I'm there to see what the hike is. And if we are going to take these ancient paths, it's going to require an element of slowing, an element of leisure, and an element of time, and an element of simply being with Jesus. Because when you take the ancient paths, he wants to take them with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for just the cloud of witnesses, the long line of people that have come before us in our faith and who have laid out some of these ancient paths that we can follow. And we've been talking about them for six weeks now, God, and it's really easy to say, oh, that's interesting. 
and never do anything about them. And yet I honestly believe, God, that some of these practices, if we would utilize them, would lead us to greater spiritual formation. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us in those areas and that you would point to those things that we need to try. Maybe it's something like the examiner. Maybe it's something like we did with Scripture where we just need to approach it different ways from day to day and just chew on it and meditate it. Maybe it's just the, the commitment of being a part of the church body. I don't know. But as you, God, as, as we sit here, I pray that you would move in our hearts in that direction. Help us to apply it. Let me ask two questions as we close this morning. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Do you even have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It's hard to take a path with him if you don't know him. If you know about him, it's one thing, but to know him is to have a personal relationship where you invite him into your life to forgive you for your sin, everything that separates you from God, and accept what he did on the cross and everything that connects you to God. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is resurrection. And you can invite him into your life. If you are a Christ follower, he wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. He wants to walk that path. What commitment will you make? And I want to just really press on us today. How about retreat? Will you choose a time where you're going to, it's going to take you more than 15 minutes. It's going to take you a morning. Where you're going to go to another place, where you're going to sit down, it's going to be you and God, where you really get to what's going on inside of you. Would you make that commitment this morning? Or, or and or, would you commit to this rule of life idea? Where you really sit down and look at what you want your life to be about, because those are the rules that are going to determine whether or not you're winning, ultimately, eternally, and spiritually. God, thank you for these ancient paths. Give us the courage and the intentionality to walk down them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thanks so much for coming. Chris, worship team, great job this morning. I loved it. And uh, just glad to see so many more people as we're starting to gather again. We got some great stuff going on here. Are you aware of that? Like, not just Sunday mornings, like Wednesday nights and all through the week. Tell somebody about it, especially Easter's coming. We had 25 people, is that right? 25 people in choir practice on, a, on Thursday night. We've got a great Easter fire. So just be thinking about that ahead of time. Get the word out there. But God bless you. You're dismissed. Don't forget to walk the ancient paths.